But we're in this series we're calling The Circus of Life. And each weekend we've been doing songs from the musical movie, The Greatest Showman. And in the movie, uh, there's a little boy that plays the part of P.T. Barnum as a child. And he sings the song, A Million Dreams. And it's an amazing song. You just heard it. It's powerful. It just grabs our hearts because it reminds us that when we were kids, everything was before us, and uh, we just thought everything was going to work out. We had all these dreams in our hearts and in our heads, and then it changes as adults. <clears throat> now, the lyrics to A Million Dreams are, because every night I lie in bed, the brightest colors in my head, a million dreams are keeping me awake. It just grabs you, you know? You come alive when you have a dream in your heart, and you go for that dream, and but as adults, the lyrics could really be changed too, because every night I lie in bed, the darkest fears inside my head. A million worries are keeping me awake. Can you relate to that? I mean, we're in a circus of stress. We live in an age of anxiety. There seems to be a million things to be worried about, but Jesus said, I don't want you to worry about anything. Well, how can we do that? not worry about anything. It just seems like there's so much to worry about. Well, I have to remember that worry is worthless. It doesn't help anything. It can't change the past. It can't alter the future. All it does is mess up today. It's ridiculous. It's like revving your car, pressing the gas, you know, revving the engine, but it's in park. It's not going anywhere. You're just wasting fuel. And that's the way it is when we worry. It's also unhealthy. It's one of the unhealthiest emotions you could ever have. It's destructive to our bodies and our souls and our hearts. But Jesus knew that we all struggle with worry, and he gives us the antidote to it. In Matthew 6, would you stand in honor of God's word and just follow along with me here? <clears throat> Jesus was talking to the people about the things they were worried about. And he said, I, I get it. I know you're worried about the bills. You know, he was talking to them. He said, I, I know you worry about what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink and the clothes you're going to wear and all the physical needs that you have. And he says, I understand that. But he says, here's the antidote. Here's the secret to dealing with this circus of stress in your life. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Dear God, I thank you that you've given us the answer right here, and the answer is you. And Lord, I just pray over the next few moments that you would speak to our hearts, our hearts that are worried, our hearts that are stressed, our hearts that are anxious, our hearts that are fearful. Lord, you know our hearts, and I thank you, Lord, that you look inside our hearts. And I know right now you're looking inside my heart and inside the hearts of all those here at the Woodlands campus, everyone who's worshiping at our satellites and through our broadcast and online ministry. Lord, you know their hearts. You know our hearts. And you see the worries and the fears and the insecurities and the doubts. And you love us just the same. And I thank you for that, Lord. But Lord, I know that you desperately want us to experience a heart at peace and a heart at joy. And you've given us the answer so I pray that you would open our hearts to really take it in, to understand it, and then step out and act upon it in faith so that you change us forever. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated, and I want you to underline two words in that key verse, seek first, seek first. 
Did you know your heart was made to seek? God made your heart to seek. You have a seeking heart. You were created with a seeking heart. Now, what is your heart seeking? Your heart is seeking joy, fullness, security. Your heart is seeking peace. It's seeking purpose. It's seeking love. Your heart was made by God to seek those deep things that your heart desperately craves and seeks for and needs. The problem is when our hearts are focused on the wrong source, that doesn't meet our needs but just leaves us even more empty and anxious. Your your heart, when it feels sad, is going to seek joy. But so many times, instead of letting our hearts seek the right source, we try to just anesthetize our pain. We anesthetize our hearts with things that lead to addictions or things that waste our time, you know, so that we can just escape the pain and the sadness. Rather than letting that sadness allow our hearts to seek what it really wants, and that's joy. When your heart's empty, and our hearts feel empty a lot, God designed our hearts that they feel empty and they seek fulfillment. When your heart feels empty, it will seek fulfillment. Now, sometimes we seek it from the wrong source. Maybe it's pleasure, or maybe it's good things that just will never satisfy our hearts. But your heart will seek fulfillment, and your heart will seek peace. It will seek purpose. Your heart will seek security. If your heart's feeling insecure, it's gonna seek security, and if you seek that security from the wrong source, it will leave you even more insecure and hurt. And your heart seeks love, but if we don't seek it from the right source, You might post pictures on your Snapchat or Instagram and to people who are looking at those pictures that don't even care about you but just want to use you and where we look at likes on our social media to get people's approval or we try to please people. If we're looking to the wrong source, we'll try to please people and our hearts will feel even more unloved and unlovable. And so the point is, I've got to go to the right source so my heart can find what it's really seeking for because your heart will seek after joy and peace and purpose and security and love. So Jesus tells us the only source. Underline the phrase, but seek first his kingdom. Now, what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is wherever God is king. It's as simple as that. Jesus said that one day he's gonna set up his kingdom here on earth as well as in heaven, but for right now, his kingdom is in the hearts of men and women who trust him. It's whoever allows Jesus to be king, the ruler of their heart. If you allow Jesus to rule and reign in your life, then his kingdom is in your life. It's wherever Jesus is allowed to be king. And so if you let him be king of your heart, then you're seeking the kingdom of God first in your life. The problem is whenever we're seeking anything other than God, in that place in our heart, when we allow anything other than God to be first place in our heart, our hearts are gonna be anxious and empty. It's really a matter of seekonomics because your heart was made to seek joy and peace and purpose and security and love and fullness, but when you seek the wrong thing, your heart feels empty and anxious. Joy, peace, purpose, meaning, fulfillment, love, those are all 
found in God and God only. And so really your heart is seeking after God. Of course it is. God made you with a heart that seeks after him. Your heart is seeking all those deep things that only God can give. And that's why you feel empty at times. God allows that emptiness in our lives so that it will drive our hearts to his fullness, the only one that can fill us. For you see, you have this God-shaped hole in your heart. And it's an infinite abyss. It's not just a little hole. It's an infinite abyss that nothing can fill except for an infinite, unchangeable God. But we try to fit so many things in the God-shaped hole in our heart, even good things that can never fulfill, that never satisfy. And so God wants you to let the emptiness drive you to his fullness. And it can only be met in him. He wants you to let that insecurity drive you to his security. You see, really, your heart's just seeking after God. It's a matter of seekonomics. When you seek the wrong thing, you feel worried, and that's where worry comes in. Worry is just an alarm that goes off in my life that tells me I've allowed something other than God to be at the center of my heart. Whenever you allow anything other than God to be at the center of your heart, you'll be filled with worry. So worry can be a good thing if you don't focus on the worries, but you turn to prayer. Whenever I start to worry about anything, it's just this warning that tells me, Carrie, you're allowing something other than God to be at the center of your life right now. I'm allowing something that can change or be taken away to be at the center of my life. I'm gonna be filled with worry and anxiety. So let that worry drive you to the only one who can give you peace. You see, your heart was made to seek and your heart was made to trust. Your heart was made to seek God. Your heart was made to trust God. The problem is we trust in things that let us down and we trust in human beings that let us down and betray our trust. And our hearts seek to trust, but we've all been hurt. And that's why as children, we have these hearts that dream big dreams, that that have great goals, that think anything is possible, but it doesn't take too long in life until you, your trust gets betrayed, until you get hurt and you start holding your heart back because you don't want your heart to get broken. You don't want your heart to get wounded. You don't want your heart to get hurt. And so you don't risk your heart and step out and risk. But when you risk your heart and you step out to God, he catches you and he holds you. Your heart was made to risk trusting him and nothing else will ever satisfy. It's like the trapeze artist in the circus. At one point, the trapeze artist has to let go of the bar they're holding onto so that they can be caught by the catcher who's swinging from the other bar. And so they have to learn to let go because when you're holding onto something, you crush the life out of it. And we're holding on because we're afraid we're gonna get hurt because our hearts were meant to seek, our hearts were meant to trust, but we've all sought things and trusted in things that have let us down and left us empty and left our hearts wounded. And so we hold on. We hold on to what we know and we stay in that hurt and pain. And God says, let go. And when you let go, I'll catch you and I'll hold you and I'll fill you with peace and joy. All the things that you've always long for. I want you to underline that phrase in that verse. And all these things will be added unto you as well. And all the things that you're really searching for will be added to you. St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless, O God, until they find their rest in you. Your heart will be worried and restless 
until you finally let go of the bar you're holding on to and let him catch you. And his strong arms will hold you. He'll give you the security that you've always longed for. He'll give you the peace. He'll give you true joy that comes from the inside, from his strength and his love. And you'll find what you're always looking for. Well, I I want you to see that all the things that you're really striving for right now, God will give you if you just stop striving. And that's really the whole point of this message. All the things that you're worried about, all the things that you're striving for, Jesus told the people, I know you need these things. I care about your bills. All the things that you're worried about, I care about. Your relationships, I care about. I care about all these things that you're worried about. I care about your work. All these things that you're worried about, I care about. It's just that if you will put me first, you'll find real joy, and then I'll give you all the things that you're striving for. If you'll just stop striving, then you'll find all those things that you're striving for. It's really amazing. If you'll just let go of the bar, I'll catch you. Now, there's a point in time where the trapeze artist lets go of the bar, and they haven't been caught yet by the catcher, and they're just suspended in midair. And that's faith. And that's what happens when you put God first in any area of your life, you let go of the bar, and he hasn't caught you yet, and there's that split second where you're just suspended in the air, and you're going, God, are you gonna catch me? But that's faith, and without faith, it's impossible to please God, so you gotta let go in order to be caught. You gotta stop trying to be God so that God can be God in your life. You gotta stop trying to save yourself so God can save you. You gotta let go of the bar so he can catch you. And that's what salvation is all about. But then as Christ followers, there's sort of a letting go every day because we forget that we need God for every breath. We forget how much we need him. And worry is the warning light that goes off in my life that says, wait a minute, I forgot. I was trying to control that situation and only God can. Wait, wait a minute, I forgot. I was trying to change that person and I can't do that. Wait, I forgot, I was trying to fix this circumstance. I can't do that. And so you let God be at the center of your life again. That worry always pushes me to the one who gives me his peace and his joy. I want us to focus in on something we worry about a lot because really what we worry about is our relationships, our finances, our schedules, our time. You know, we worry about those things that are really personal to us. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8 says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Underline two words, cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. Now, the Greek word here for cheerful is the word hilaros, which is where we get our word hilarious from, which is hilarious to me because when it comes to giving, most people aren't really hilarious when they give. I mean, some people, when it comes to giving, they get mad and angry about giving. Some people, when it comes to giving, they really struggle with it and they give reluctantly or begrudgingly. And a lot of people, when it comes to finances and giving, they stress about it, they're anxious about it, they worry about it. But I don't think I've ever seen anyone say, wow, that offering was hilarious. Have you? I I don't know. It's like, wow, I gave more than I've ever given. That just cracked me up, man. 
just busted up over that. That was hilarious. I just gave all my money away. Oh, that was hilarious. That's the most hilarious thing I've ever experienced. No, I don't think I've ever seen that. So what does it mean? Well, the word hilaro meant something a little bit different back in Christ's day than it means today. It's hilarious. It just meant someone who was at peace and joy and confident in their life, cheerful, ready to give, so full of joy and peace, no worries, just ready to give. And that's what God wants. Why does God want us to have cheerful hearts when we give, to be cheerful givers? Because he knows if we're a cheerful giver, then we've found the secret to joy. We found the secret to peace, the secret to fulfillment, because the secret of living is giving. What we're talking about here, so much more than finances, the secret of living is giving. This has been the secret to my marriage. This has been the secret to my family. This has been the secret to our church. This is the secret to my life. The secret of living is giving. And it's just the opposite of what we tend to seek after. Because when our hearts feel empty, we think we need to fill our hearts. And what we need to do is give away, and then God fills us. It's amazing how it works. The secret of living is giving. And and Jesus knew that when you discover this, you find the deepest things that your heart really longs for. Because the things you're worried about aren't the things that will ever satisfy you. They'll never satisfy you. All the material things that we worry about are things that will never bring total fulfillment because they can't. Only God can do that. And so when we begin to learn that and we let go, then God fills us up. When we let go of the bar, he catches us. And we find what our hearts have always longed for, and our hearts can finally rest in him. But for me, every day, that's a process. You know, I've come to Christ years ago, but every day I have to let go again. i got to let go, because I have to remember. So underline the words, remember this in that passage. Remember this. He's saying, hey, you got to remember this stuff, because we so quickly forget. And if you forget this, you're going to be filled with worry. And worry is a signal that says you've forgotten something that you need to remember. And so what do we need to remember? Let's break it down. In verse eight, it says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Underline the phrase, God is able. You see, it all starts with God because it's all God's. I have to remember first that all my blessings come from God, that everything I have is really God's, that God has given it to me, that it's all God's. Basically, I don't own anything. We have to remember that we don't own anything. All the things that you have, you don't own them. They're just on loan to you from God for 60, 70, 80 years, or usually, you know, they don't last that long, but the things that you have are just on loan. They're not yours. You do not own anything. And he said, if you forget that you don't own anything and you think that you own this stuff, then you're gonna be filled with worry. You're going to always be insecure, but you've got to understand that you don't own it. You don't own anything. It's all God's, and it's just on loan to us from God. For you see, every one of you are great givers. 
That's for sure, that's a given. You are a great giver. Would you turn to your neighbor and say, you're a great giver, you're a great giver, you're a great giver. Just encourage each other. This should be encouraging, you're a great giver. You're a great giver because I can tell you this, every single one of you are gonna give everything you have away. Every single thing. So you ought to pat yourself on the back. Those of you who are struggling with giving right now, it's okay, don't worry about it. You're gonna give everything away one day. You're gonna die. So encouraging. You're gonna die and you're gonna leave it all for your kids to fight over and the government to take. You're gonna give it all away one day. Every one of us are gonna give everything we have away one day. It's not a question of who's gonna give everything away, it's a question of will you be a dead giver or a giver full of life? Will you be a dead giver or a cheerful giver? Because we're all gonna give it away. We don't own anything, you can't take it with you. But oh, I forget, I forget. You know, some people think that only poor people worry about finances, and that's just not true. In fact, all the studies say the more you have, the more you worry. Do you know that? The more you have to worry about, the more you have to protect, the more you have to insure, the more you have to pay taxes on, the more you have to maintain. It goes on and on and on. But that's because you think you own it, but you don't own anything. We have to change our mentality from an owner mentality to a manager mentality. You're just stewards of what God has given you, and he says, I want you to enjoy it, but I want you to give and I want you to realize it's all mine. I can take it away anytime I want. It's all God's, and if I forget that, then I'm gonna get worried, and so it, just, it sets you free. I mean, if you get a ding in your car, say you got a new car, and you got, you're out in the parking lot at church, and you go out after the service, and somebody has opened their door and just put a little ding and a scratch on your new car. Oh! Drives you crazy if you think that's your car, but it's not. You can just say, God, your car got a scratch on it. <laughs> I mean, that's really the truth. It's just harder to believe the truth sometimes, but it's the truth. It's not yours. You're just a steward of it. You can say, God, I'm sorry that I got your car scratched, but don't worry about it. It's just a thing that won't last. It'll never satisfy and if I can remember that, then I'm gonna be at peace. And then I can remember a second thing. He goes on to say, and let's take a look at it in this passage, that in Matthew 6, 25, in fact, let's move to Matthew 6, 25, Jesus tells us, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body. What you will wear is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Jesus was saying, I know you need to pay your bills and I care about it and I'll meet your needs. If you'll stop striving and worrying about it and put me first, then I will meet your needs. I will take care of you. And so he's saying God is able to meet all your needs, every single one of your needs. So I need to remember first and foremost that it's all God's. But then secondly, God promises to meet all my needs. That's a great promise of God. And so if I'm worried, I've forgotten those two things, that it's all God's anyway, and then secondly, that God says he'll meet my needs. My deepest needs, physical needs, God will meet my needs. What a great promise of God. Now, he doesn't say he'll meet all your wants. There have been many times where I prayed for something that I thought was a real need. God, I need this desperately, and you know I need this, and I prayed for it, and God didn't answer that prayer, but then years later, I look back and go, God, thank you that you didn't answer that prayer. You saved me so much pain because you had something better for me. 
You see, you don't really know what you need most of the time. If God gave you everything that you thought you needed, it would ruin your life because you don't know what you need most of the time. But God knows what you need because he created you. And so God wants to meet your needs, not all your wants, but he knows what you need and he will meet those needs. And so if God is big enough to meet those needs and it's all God's anyway, then I'll stop worrying. And Jesus tells us to remember that. Don't forget that. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6, the scripture says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. He says, remember this again, underline that. What do you remember? The law of the harvest. He says, I want you to remember the law of the harvest. Now, farmers know the law of the harvest. I've told you this before, but I want you to remember it because we quickly forget it. The law of the harvest has a couple of parts. First, whatever you plant, you'll harvest. You don't harvest something that you didn't plant. And if you plant corn, you don't harvest beans. If you plant an apple tree, you don't harvest peaches. You harvest whatever you plant, it's the way it is in life. If you plant criticism, you'll harvest criticism. You plant gratitude, you'll get back thanks. It's just the law of the harvest. But the law of the harvest also says you harvest more than you plant. When the farmer plants a bag of seven and a half pounds of corn, he knows he's not going to get back just seven and a half pounds of corn. He knows that he will get back, on average, 125 bushels of corn. So when the farmer's down to his last bag of corn, he doesn't say, this is my last bag of corn, I've gotta hold on to this, because if I give it away to the soil, that I have nothing, so I've gotta hold on. No, he says, I've gotta give this away to the soil, every bit of it, because I know this law of multiplication, the law of the harvest means I'll get back way more than I give. And God says that you need to understand the law of the harvest. When you give, you're gonna get back whatever you give, and you're always gonna get back a lot more. That's a powerful thing to understand. And so if you forget the law of the harvest, you'll wanna hold on. If you remember it, you'll learn to let go, and you'll find real joy, the things that you've always needed and wanted, you'll experience. In Proverbs 3, 9, it says, honor the Lord by giving him the first part of your income. You see, God doesn't need your money, but he wants what it represents, your life. So he wants the first. And whenever you put God first in an area, God blesses that area. But most importantly, he gives you peace. You put God first, it honors him. And when you honor God, it sets God loose in your life. When you bring honor to him, when you dishonor him in your life, and God can't work in your life the way he wants to. And so we honor God. I can't put God first if I don't trust him. And so I start putting God first and my trust starts growing because I see God come through. You see, God catches me and every time he catches me, it gives me more trust in him. In Malachi 3.10, it says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Now, underline that word tithe because that word just means tenth. It means give God the first 10% of all you make to put him first in your life. Now, why did God choose 10%? I don't really know, to be honest. He could have chose 3%. He could have chose 20%. He chose 10%. It's taught all through Scripture. Jesus affirmed it in the New Testament. But I don't know why he chose the number 10, but I do know the purpose of it. It's to teach us to put God first because God knows if he's not first, in our time, 
our relationships and our money, he's not first in my life. If, I, if God's not first place in my finances, he's not first place in my life because I care about my finances. And, and if I'm worried about my finances, if I'm worried about my relationships, it just means that other things other than God are creeping in to be first place in my life. And so God says, test me in this. And it's the only thing in scripture that we can test God in. God says, you're not to test me. Don't test the Lord, the scripture tells us, except in this one area. Why? Because God knows that we struggle with it. And he so desperately wants to catch us. He wants to see our face when he catches us and we find true joy and fulfillment that we could never find in any material thing, that we could never find in anything we put in the God-shaped hole in our heart that could never satisfy. There's nothing wrong with nice things. It's just they will never satisfy. They'll never fill the God-shaped hole in your heart. And nothing wrong with saving, but it will never, no matter how much you save, it'll never satisfy. It'll never provide you real security. You know, there's, there's nothing wrong with being successful. It's just, it will never satisfy. It'll never give you joy. It'll never give you fulfillment. It'll never give you peace. It'll never give you purpose. It just won't. And so God knows that, and he knows we struggle with it. And we'll live in a place of anxiety and fear and a place of unfulfillment and emptiness, and he knows that it'll never happen until we let go. And then he'll catch us, and then he'll see the joy in our hearts, seeing how he is trustworthy, how our hearts have sought him all along to trust him with the important areas of our life. So he says, test me in this and see if I want to open up the floodgates of heaven and pour a blessing on you so great you won't be able to contain it. That's God saying that, not me. That's God, his word's at stake and God always keeps his word. And so God says, just test me in this thing. Just put me first, give me the first 10% and you watch, I'll meet your needs and I'll come through, I'll catch you and I'll fill you with the things that you've always longed for and I'll meet your needs. I'll take care of you, you'll see me come through and you'll find the joy of giving. I'm so grateful that my parents taught me this when I was a kid, it's pretty rare today. I mean, when I got a dollar for allowance, then I gave 10 cents to God. When I got you know, 100 bucks mowing lawns, I gave the first $10 back to God. And so when Chris and I got married, we said we want God to be first in our finances. We're gonna put God first and practice the habit of tithing. God's gonna get paid first. Whether anyone else gets paid, God's gonna get paid first. But I realize for some of you, you've never done that, and it's like, what? I was putting a $20 bill in the offering plate and taking out 10, you know? I mean, I thought that was great, you know? I was making change in the offering plate, and... I thought that was a pretty good deal. And then a tithe, I mean, it just seems like, is that the gross of the net, Pastor Kerry? That's, that's a lot, you know? And it really, it's all God's, so it's not. It's, but God says, when you do that, I meet your needs. You can't afford not to. I, you, I put, when I put God first, he blesses the rest. But most importantly, he has my heart. He just has my heart, you know, and that's what it's all about. He wants your heart to find joy. That's why he says, test me. Now, I want you to, to hear and write down three types of cheerful giving because there are three types, spontaneous cheerful giving. It's the spontaneous cheerful heart. That is when you get really moved to give, you get really inspired to give, you give. But if you're not really moved or inspired, you don't. Maybe you see a commercial on television and it really moves you you know, the, the hurting out there, and so you give. Or maybe at church you get motivated and you give. But unless you're motivated, inspired, moved to tears, you don't really give. That's spontaneous cheerful giving, and it's okay, but it's, it's the least spiritually mature. 
that spontaneous, that's the way a lot of people give. Um, think of it this way. How many of you guys are spontaneous mortgage payers? You know what I mean? If you feel really moved, you're sitting in your house, you go, I love this house. I'm gonna pay our mortgage this, this month, honey. I'm gonna do that. Yeah, let's do, let's do that. I know I didn't feel like it last couple months, but let's go ahead and do it. How does that go? A spontaneous mortgage payer. Probably not very good. Um, God wants us to be strategic cheerful givers. Write that down, strategic cheerful givers. That is, you give whether you feel like it or not. It's just part of the plan because it's important because you want God to be first in your life. You wanna let go and let God catch you. And so you put God first in your finances and you plan it. Maybe as you bring that check to church, maybe every two weeks, maybe once a month, but it's the first 10%. When you get paid, you give God the first, not the last, but the first, and you plan it out. Or, or a lot of you don't even have checkbooks, so you do it online and you set up recurring giving through wc.org. Or you use your phone or push pay app to set it up. How do you do your mortgage? Probably ought to do it that way because it's more important than your mortgage. It's putting God first. In fact, um, our push pay app, what is the number? 77977. You dial that, and then uh, text give WC, um, lowercase together, give WC, and it goes to our push pay app, and you can set up recurring giving right from your phone, and put God first, and God promises that he'll meet your needs. It's a powerful thing to know that God will always catch you. In 2 Corinthians 9, 7, it says, each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, and not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Underline heart. It's all about your heart. God wants you to decide to give what he's commanded us to give, the 10%. But he wants you also to become a sacrificial, cheerful giver. That's when you realize it's all God's. And yes, I'm gonna put God first and give that 10%, but there'll be times God asks me to give above and beyond that, but that's great. I get more excited when God wants me to give more. I get more excited if I can keep increasing it to give more. R.G. Letourneau, who founded Earth Movers, when he started his business, he tithed on the gross of everything he made, 10%. And God kept blessing the business, and every year he would, he would challenge himself to, to give more, and he started finding more and more joy in giving, and it's just the thing that brought him so much joy, and so by the end of his life, he was reverse tithing. He was giving away 90%, living off 10%. And someone asked him, you know, how does that happen? And he said, well, I just found that I would shovel money to God and he would shovel it back to me. It's just God had a much bigger shovel. And so I just, the joy of giving just set him free. The joy of giving is the secret to living. In a marriage relationship, it's looking to give. Not, what, did I, what did I get today from this? Or I gave more than you gave. That's not giving. You know, I, I gave 52% in our marriage today. You only gave 48%. That's not fair. No, it's giving all of yourself, giving your whole heart. Now, here's the thing. A lot of pastors will tell you that if you struggle with giving and really struggle with it, it's just that you don't love God enough. And I'll say that's not true. That's not true. The problem is you don't know how much God loves you. That's really true. Because if you could just get a glimpse of how much God loves you, he loves you so much he gave his whole life for you, and he died on a cross for you and shed his blood. The God of the universe loves you that much that he gave you his whole heart and he didn't hold any of his heart back. We wanna give God pieces of our heart. Like, God, I'll give you that little piece and that little piece, but not my finances. I used to get really ticked at Christians 
who couldn't tithe and struggled with tithing and wouldn't tithe. So I think, what is the problem? I mean, they don't love God enough to give? That makes no sense. You know, that's, they don't put their money where their mouth is. And as a young Christian, I get really mad about that. I don't anymore. I think I've matured a little bit at least. I don't feel anger at all. I just feel sad for them because they don't have a God they can trust. I think, how sad is that? How can you trust God with your eternal destination and salvation, but you can't trust God with your finances? How sad is that to have a God that small? I feel so sad for them, and I I feel a twinge of what Jesus feels when he says, I just want you to experience why I died for you, that you can trust me in every area of your life. Who cares if you trust God while you're singing or in a Bible study or talking about God? It's you show me how you spend your money and you show me how you spend your time and I'll tell you what place God is in your life because that's what it comes down to. And God says, I want you to know it so much. I want you to know how much I love you because if you can just get a glimpse of how much God loves you, you'd surrender your whole life to someone who loves you that much. You'd be able to finally rest and trust him. I challenge you to let go of the trapeze, the bar you're holding on to, and let God catch you today. God will always ask you to do that. For some of you, it's being baptized. You know Christ, but you haven't been baptized. We got our big baptism right after this service, right out the prayer fountain. We got the dressing rooms, and we've got all the baptism clothes, everything you need, all different sizes. This is your day. Take that step. Some of you have never been saved. You've never received Christ in your life. You've never let go of trying to control your life and let Christ take control. You need to get saved today. Some of you have never started trusting him in your finances, and you're missing out. God wants you to know how much he loves you, that you can finally let go, and you can trust him. You can finally let go and feel his love for you. I've asked Josh to sing this song about God's love, because Really, all I want for you today is to feel God's love. I mean, I pray that you'll take a step of faith, whatever that is, into his love and experience it. But I know you won't do that until you just get a glimpse of his love for you. It's not that you need to love God more. You need to know how much God loves you. And so God gives his whole heart, and his whole heart was crushed and broken. He died of a broken heart because he loves you so much, and he wants you to experience a heart that's at rest and peace, a heart of fulfillment, a heart of joy, And so he wants you to know how much he loves you. And at some point, Josh is gonna ask you to sing with him. But I just pray that you'll experience God's love. In fact, I just want you to close your eyes right now as you listen. And at some point, just open your eyes and sing with him. But just let God love you. Just let God, have you ever just stopped long enough to let God love you? He loves you because he loves you because he loves you. There's nothing you can do to make him love you any more or less. He just wants you to experience freedom in him by putting him first. Let him love you. Let's bow our heads. Dear God, we thank you that you gave us your whole heart. We thank you that your love is wild and passionate for us. That you gave everything for us and you died of a broken heart. So today we bring our anxious hearts and our restless hearts and our fearful hearts and our worried hearts, our insecure hearts, our doubting hearts, our unbelieving hearts, 
our prideful hearts, our selfish hearts, our lustful hearts. Lord, we bring our hearts to you to find their rest. We thank you, Lord, that in you, we find everything that our hearts have always been seeking. And so, Lord, we know we can trust you with our lives. So I pray for those who've never received you in their life, that right now they would just place their heart's trust in you and say this prayer, dear Jesus Christ, I stop trying to save myself and I ask you to save me. I let go and ask you to catch me and forgive me of my sins and come into my life and change me and be the Lord of my life and take me to heaven one day. And Lord, I pray for all those who need to be baptized to show that you're in their life, that they would take that step of obedience that brings blessing, that they would do it today, Lord, and obey you today and take that step of faith and let go and go into the waters and experience your blessing. I pray for those who've never tithed, they've never been able to trust you, Lord, in their finances, that you would just give them your love and encouragement and strength to step out today. And this would be the day their lives will never be the same. Lord, I, I just pray that you'd help every one of us take the next step, whatever that is, to let go and let you catch us and hold us and love us so we can experience all those things that we've been striving for that really are all in you. Lord, I thank you for your love for us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Now we're at the part of our service where we give back to God and as you give, I want to point out a couple of ministries that are so important. First, would you really be praying for our junior high ministry? We're sending 300 junior high kids to camp, um, and they leave tomorrow, I think tonight, really, they leave. And then we have children's camp that's going on that starts today. Um, and we've got uh, grade schoolers at children's camp. We have Bible school coming up. We've got all kinds of camps going on through the summer. And so if you feel led to give extra for our generation ministries raising up the next generation, then, then we just encourage you to do that because I guess we didn't have enough faith to believe we have more kids. We had 1,000 high school students go to camp. We have more kids going to camps and being involved in ministry than ever before in the history of our church, and God's raising up this next generation, and it's awesome. Also, remember in prayer, all of our missions, one of the missions I wanna point out is our mission to Haiti. We have uh, farmer's field schools in Haiti and also in Kenya that we feed 85,000 people annually on a consistent strategic basis. And we've uh, taught them farming principles and given them the seed and um, the, the teaching constantly, uh, helping them with their farms, providing a sustainable living. And then also we do our coffee ministry in Haiti that gives them fair trade and all the profits go back to missions. And, and then we also teach pastors, and our, one of our missions pastors, Bobby Maynard, just returned this week from teaching 75 pastors in the hills of Haiti. And here's a picture of Bobby teaching, and they, they walk for miles around. Woodland Church will be there to teach. And they wanna know how to pastor their church and care for their church, and I'm so grateful that you make a difference all over the world. Um, let's just give to the Lord. And Lord, give us one more thing, a grateful heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah. Praise God. He loves us. Hey, the baptism starts right now. So if you're being baptized, would you head out right now? I want to give you a head start to the dressing rooms. We've got great folks who will meet you right out here, tell you where to go. If you weren't planning on being baptized, but God has touched your heart, then we have 
shorts and shirts of all different sizes, baptism clothes, towels, and blow dryers. We got everything you need. So go for it. It's going to be out the prayer fountain. God bless you. Next weekend, we conclude the series, and we're bringing back the greatest show on earth song. So it's going to be a lot of fun and also tightrope. God bless you. Have a great week. Hey, church. Thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.